and welcome to Season 3 of Gender Sexuality School. I'm Tara Goldstein, and we're broadcasting from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Today, Dr. Glynis Lieb, the Executive Director of the Institute for Sexual Minority Studies and Services at the Faculty of Education, University of Alberta, joins us to talk about the work of the ISSMS and some of the current research and professional development programming the Institute is engaged in. Linus, welcome to Gender Sexuality School. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. That was a lot. That was a lot of words in that introduction. Hey, sorry about the name. (laughs) We're working on a new name. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the new name and tell us a little bit about the Institute and the kind of work you do. Absolutely. And so, um, so we started out as Camp Firefly about 15 years ago, and that was um, then the project of um, a doctoral student and a prof on faculty in education. And the idea behind the camp was um, that, you know, as, as sad but true as it sounds, that youth needed um, kind of to... Um, kind of steal themselves from the school year for the school year ahead, K to 12 youth. And so they were doing this weekend retreat um, prior to the start of school in September and then quickly discovered that uh, needed to be more than just a weekend retreat and turned it into a self-esteem and leadership building camp for um, to us LGBTQ youth um, that that's now run, you know, annually for 15 years. But um, from that other projects emerged. And so uh, from you know, from camp, we um, we adapted other projects and then became an actual institute on campus um, at um, at the University of Alberta. And so we do primarily uh, programming for youth. And when we say youth, um, it's typically under 30 all the way down. Um, and that too, we have a lot of things going on right now. Um, we provide um, free psychological services to youth and their families. Um, we have... Um, in school programs for K to 12 called Firefly in Schools and then Where the Rivers Meet, um, which are educational and advocacy programs for um, queer and trans students, staff and teachers to help um, A, educate, but B, help teach them how to build alliances, um, find and rely on community resources and that um, create GSAs and QSAs and so forth. Um, and where the rivers meet is um, is by queer and two-spirit indigenous folk nice. for queer and two-spirit indigenous folk. And so they do a lot of work in schools um, as well. And, um, and a lot of work on reserve and in other communities, but they're intended to teach indigenous youth about that, Indigenous cultures in Canada and their history around gender and sexuality and and how much more broadly it was understood before colonization and so forth. And with that to be um, empowering and teach self-advocacy as well. Um, We also have a day shelter for queer and trans youth who are precariously housed or houseless, um, otherwise street involved. Um, We do a lot, again, a lot of political lobbying and activist work in that too. Um, We are the the organization behind Pride Tape, if you've seen the hockey tape, um, and nohomophobes.com and all those things. Um, And then we do research as well, looking at contemporary issues um, impacting um, queer and trans youth. And so um, we have uh, a couple of 
professors who are aligned with us, and then we take on grads, graduate students, and practicum students, and so forth, and do that work throughout the year. So that's where we are. Regarding the name, the Institute for Sexual Minority Studies and Services, it's a long, cumbersome name. Um, we call ourselves ISMIS, but also the language has changed. We don't talk about sexual minorities um, anymore. Um, we talk about, uh, you know, sexual and gender diversity, because we recognize that this idea of, you know, you know, if, if you look back to the, you know, to the 1950s and, you know, folks like Kinsey and others who were talking about the fact that we're all in this continuum of sexuality and gender, um, it just doesn't, doesn't fit anymore. So we're currently in the process of rebranding and reimagining, you know, um, now that we've done some new strategic development and that sort of thing and um, trying to find a name that'll stick with us for the long term. Fantastic. What's mm-hmm. so interesting um, in what you've just shared with us is these connections between the university and the community. You don't often see that kind of a partnership. So is there an office um, at the University of Alberta? And does that uh, office uh, serve as headquarters for all of these? Do you have a community location as well? How do you combine uh, your community work and your research work? Great question. So we started off um, very campus centric as often happens. Um, But the work that we were doing, again, was was very much based on children and youth experiences in school, right? Right. So we started spending more and more time in school. we have an, an office uh, on campus and we had, um, we were sharing some space with um, students, um, psychological services and that on campus until I came on board about two and a half years ago. And so um, at that point, we were primarily working on campus and then we had a very small closet size, you know, ironically closet size <laughs> office in this building downtown where we did, um, people could stop in for STI testing, emergency you know, food mitts, that sort of thing, some of the youth that we were serving. Um, in We managed to broker a deal with the landlord of that building downtown um, about a year and a half ago, and to, and were able to get a really good deal on some, you know, storefront, kind of street front, front space to open an actual day shelter that we're working to turn into a 24-7 emergency shelter. But that allowed us to provide a lot more services to folks um, to access a lot of youth who were nervous to come on campus um, and to just provide space for people to collect and for service providers to come and um, and meet up with youth and so forth. So that's been a tremendous um, achievement. But it's it was part of really intentionally changing how we saw ourselves and how others saw us because um, ISMIS was very much seen as kind of an academic high-level organization just because of its affiliation with the university. And so other communities serving to us LGBTQ orgs um, kind of saw you know, it as being over there and then right. here. You know? and, and so we worked very much to build community relationships and the idea that we serve the community, we're involved in the community and that too. So we started spending a lot more time outside of campus as well, um, collaborating with a lot more organizations, sharing our resources a lot more. We've now created a community advisory committee that we run all our, uh, you know, programming priorities and that by, um, because our, you know, our intention very much was not to be, you know, um, exclusionary or isolationist. And, um, and we didn't want to end up being, you know, a high level academic think tank that, um, 
that is filled with people who who have not been immersed in the world outside of academia, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure we are really um, our, that our programs are informed by research, that we are conducting good quality research um, in and reporting back on the things that we do, and that we're providing valuable um, information that um, and research that people can that people can apply and and use to model in their own services and other places and that. That's so exciting. So could you give us an example of a a project that connects uh, research and community work? Um, The idea that somebody's research would have a particular relevance for a community or perhaps a community looking for research to help them do what they do better. Absolutely. And that we've we've done so much of um, so much of that work. But um, Recently, we have uh, really paid attention to health outcomes uh, for queer and trans folk. And, you know, we've been focused on educational outcomes for a long time and still are. But um, now that we found, and this is, again, and we've seen this, and this has been reflected in research across the country and that too, um, the average age of contact for people seeking supports and information and services is going down, meaning that um, children are younger when they're first getting in contact with us. When the Institute first started operating, the majority of of requests for um, information about gender, sexuality, transitioning, and that from family, from um, from educators, that would come around that junior high age, you know, late um, grade school, early junior high. And now we're seeing that age. We're getting so many more requests um, for educators and families and individuals who are in elementary school, you know, right. in grades three, four, five, um, and that too. So, and with that, the conversation about, um, you know, about health supports and services and how do people access, you know, affirming care and that. So, um, so we have, uh, one of our graduate students has been looking at health outcomes for particularly trans femme people, um, and their experiences with, um, seeking care in general and that, um, and, we have been using that work and also other research that's been done around health outcomes. And, um, and through what the information we've gleaned from that, we ended up partnering with, um, with a group who were um, visioning a wraparound um, tr- um, health, like LGBTQ wellness kind of a service, right? So a one-stop shop for health services and that too. So Isthmus um, ended up partnering with these group, uh, this group of medical professionals and another, and they brought some other folks on board. And in July of last year, um, we opened the LGBTQ wellness center here in Edmonton. And so now um, Isthmus provides our psychological services on site there, plus a couple of other physical locations around town to make them more accessible. But, um, but what we've what we've done there is is create um, this center that um, allows people to get everything from you know family doc to gynecology to hair removal services to psychological services to psychiatry. There's a pharmacy on site, um, and it's all there. It's all in a place that is you know that is um, very affirming. Um, everybody working there um, is well versed um, in and or identifies as a member of the 2 LGBTQ plus community. And so, um, and so people don't feel afraid to even go don't, you know, that sort of thing, because that's what we were dealing with, especially with a lot of the youth that we work with. Um, they were so afraid to, you know, to even 
um, seek services and support. So we've tried to overcome that. So that's something that um, we are truly excited about. Um, we're working collectively with the group that, um, that set this up and we're continuing to do research on outcomes of people who seek those services um, and that too. So, and that's just, again, one of a multitude of examples of things that we've done recently. So what you're able to do is actually provide research on outcomes of what a model of one-stop shopping looks like, what happens when people have access to affirming care. Uh, and I think that that's extremely um, exciting. And it's very rare to see a research center being so involved um, with uh, community uh, community priorities. Uh, and I guess, would you say the history of the uh, center beginning with something so community-oriented, like Camp Firefly, was that kind of connected to the trajectory that, that the center has taken all these years later? I think so. You know, it was um, because the youth that the youth that we uh, served in Camp Firefly and still do um, really shaped how we focused on, you know, and what we learned about their experiences. Right. So many of the so many of folks who came to us as, you know, as adolescents, you know, for the first camps are still involved as camp leaders, as other volunteers or have done research, you know, um, or even work for us, you know, and that. So we've tried to really keep that youth focused. And and let them lead us. We have we create youth advisory committees for everything that we do. Our camp has a youth advisory committee and so forth, um, and that too. But we've let them lead us to what they need and what they're telling us because we know nothing happens in a vacuum, right? Like your educational experience is not separated from your family experience, from your healthcare experience, so forth. And these things impact each other. Um, and so if you have somebody who's coming to camp but telling us that they that they cannot access health access healthcare or they're afraid to go to school, or they're struggling within their family dynamic. We've created, so we created our family resiliency project because of what we were hearing from the, from these kids, what they really needed, the help they needed, you know, um, being able to have supported constructive conversations with family to educate their family. We created our day shelter from, you know, the folks who are talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, they, they didn't always have a safe place to be, you know, uh, um, that camp was the one time of year that they had, you know, four days where they could safely be somewhere and be themselves, you know, um, the other services that we've, you know, that we've created Firefly in schools was created from, you know, advice from these, these kids saying that we need, you know, our teachers to hear this and that too. Right. So, you know, so it's, so everything links together. And, and as long as we listen to what the young folks are telling us they need, um, I think we'll stay on the right track, you know? It's, it's so exciting to see, you know, we always are asked, what difference does your research make, right? And it's so exciting to hear about how uh, the Institute has really been able to take findings from different projects and then actually engage in action to make them um, better. Could you talk a little bit about uh, funding? Is it the Institute that takes a lead on looking um, for funding for example, for uh, the, the day shelter and the 24-hour shelter, uh, or is the Institute really about the research and then facilitating action? Oh, no, we, find, we have to find our money. So, um, yeah, we spend um, a lot of time uh, looking for money. We get assistance from fund development within the Faculty of Education when it comes to donors, but for grants and that we are finding our own money and finding creative ways to fund ourselves. When our like our day shelter um, opened, and I think about six days later, the provincial government cut our funding, right. and we had to. I mean, 
our, my shelter, my outreach coordinator ended up um, creating a GoFundMe. Um, you know, some of some other volunteers created another fundraiser. We had restaurants who were raising money for us. You know, we had, we've had to find money any way that we could to keep our services going. Um, and we've had a great deal of community support, which is great. But, um, you know, we're, in, we're charged with finding our money, like I said, other than individual donors and that that the university has forged relationships with who might say that this is where they want their dollars to go when it comes to grant funding and that it's, it's up to us and that. So, and and so that's, you know, and as executive director, that's that my role is to find the money, you know, (laughs) that's a big role. That's a big role. As we begin to uh, close up uh, the interview, Glynis, I'd like you to talk about the future. Where would you like to see, where do the youth that work with you like to see the Institute go next? Great question. I think, you know, this is bigger than us. Um, This started really took off in about 2018 um, with the cancellation of Pride Festival here. And you know that there was, you know, there were similar events in Toronto and other cities too, with a pushback from um, the um, folks in the queer and trans community who felt like you know, historically, they've shouldered so much of the movement um, and just not been recognized. And and that we still, and I say collectively, we, because we as an institution, but we as the, the 2SLGBTQ community and that we're not doing a good job of including all members. And that includes, you know, um, folks who, you know, are non-white, it includes folks who are um, gender diverse, it includes folks who have, who are differently abled because ableism is huge in the queer community, huge, you know that. And that's so, um, so what we've been, what we've been doing here um, over the last year and a half or so is um, working with other 2SLGBTQ serving organizations to, um, to figure out what we need to do to truly remove barriers um, and for people to participate in our services, to be represented by our services, to be seen, to have leadership roles in the movement here. And so that's where our focus is now. Our focus is about, you know, how do we actually increase equity within our institute? And, you know, so we've, we've already done a lot of um, training and work led by members of the QT BIPOC community. Um, we've done things like change our hiring practices within the Institute. So we now value life experience um, on weight with education. Um, we, you know, we've looked at, again, um, providing our services in other, in other places. We've looked at, we um, have uh, knowledge keepers who are advising us um, and that too on how we provide services, how we interact with the general community and that and and our youth advisory committee um and our community advisory committee so um so that's really a push for me personally and for the institute is to um is to really try to get rid of the systemic inequities that that we've helped perpetuate for as long as we've been around it's an exciting project an exciting project that is really responding to our political moment. And uh, speaking of political moments, I read somewhere that you are politically involved and that you are actually thinking of running for a position on Edmonton City Council in 2021. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how being involved politically in municipal politics is important to your um, work at Isthmus? 
Absolutely. And that, you know, it was, um, I have officially announced that I'm running for city council here this year. Um, I had consulted with um, my executive committee and the Dean of Education prior because my condition, if I was, when, um, when I was approached to run, I, I took some time because I, I, I love what I'm doing with, yes. with Isthmus. I love the ability to really make change and have, and have the freedom and the support to do so however we see fit. Um, so I thought about it and I thought about what I could do from a municipal level, uh, again, representing the queer community on council um, and having, you know, firsthand knowledge of, uh, of folks who haven't historically been heard enough when it yeah. comes to politics and political decisions. And so I think this is a great opportunity. My condition of running was that I didn't have to give up Isthmus fully. I will still continue to be you know, connected to Isthmus and keep doing our work and to be informed by the community I serve, the queer and trans community and youth. Um, and that too, around the decisions that I make and what I propose. But where I see municipal politics really playing a role is, I mean, when it comes, um, when it comes to, um, setting a tone about um, abolishing discrimination and inequity by, you know, through the, through bylaws, through what businesses you issue business licenses for, for or don't, you know, we recently passed a ban on conversion therapy here and I was part of testifying for that. Um, and people thought, said, you know, what can you do at a municipal level? I said, well, you know, we can refuse to issue business licenses to businesses who engage in practices that we think, um, you know, that meet, that meet the definition of conversion therapy, right? Um, no, there are things that we can do, but also so many of our community members are impacted by unemployment, underemployment, houselessness, discrimination, um, being, you know, disproportionately um, carded, um, you know, targeted by law enforcement and that, and through the municipal government, you know, we have a direct line on these things, on, on homelessness, on law enforcement, on rethinking how um, we respond to people who need extra supports. And so if I can get elected onto city council, use my 20 years plus of working with, um, you know, working in social services, the knowledge that, that I've gained um, through working with our community, being a member of it, um, to to enforce some changes that are going to make life easier for the 2S LGBTQ community. Um, and that then, you know, that's, that's my calling. I'm going to do it. This is so exciting, Glynis. Uh, you have given us a model of community engaged research that uh, is extremely innovative and flexible and forward looking. And you've linked it to the important work in municipal politics. And we just want to wish you all the best in the next steps, because uh, you have exactly, as you said, so much experience, so much knowledge, so much access to youth advisory councils that help in, in, inform uh, the work of, of, of the city. And I think that makes such great sense as the next step for you and for Isthmus. So we want to wish you all the best. So, Glynis Lee, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about Isthmus and its current work. Glynis Lee is the Executive Director of the Institute for Sexual Minority Studies and Services at the Faculty of Education, University of Alberta. Stay tuned for their new name soon. Glynis has worked for both government and non-for-profit social services organizations. She's also a post-secondary instructor and has held several sessional positions in five different institutions in Manitoba and Alberta over the past 14 years. 
As we have seen, Glynis believes strongly in community involvement and social activism. She sits on a number of boards for entities that are health or social justice focused. Finally, as we heard, Glynis is very politically involved and is running for a position on the Edmonton City Council in 2021. Glynis, we wish you all the best in your political race. All right. That's our podcast for today. You can find this podcast at www.lgbtqfamiliespeakout.ca. This episode was produced with the support of the New College Initiative Fund and from Doug Friesen, who is a PhD student at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education. Thanks to LGBTQ Family Speak Out team member Kate Reed, sound engineer Lisa Patterson, and musician Doug Friesen for creating the music that opens and closes the show. I'm Tara Goldstein. All the best.